Well, welcome to Graceway Baptist Church and our midweek service. We've been going through Psalms and we finished up Psalm 6 last week. So we're going to go to a new one. Turn in your Bibles, please, to Psalm 11, the 11th Psalm. And uh, some of these, it's easy to kind of picture singing them. Some of them are a little bit more difficult to picture. And uh, this is written by David. He wrote a good portion of the Psalms, not all of them, but a good portion of them. And um, in this one, David is going through some difficulty. It's not specified. This is one of those that we, we don't really know, but something has gone wrong. <clears throat> and um, not necessarily because of his sin this time. We saw in Psalm 6 and in Psalm 32 that uh, David was under divine discipline, and so that's why he was having trouble, but uh, not on this one. You say, well, then why is he having trouble? Well, you remember that the Bible says in the New Testament, all that desire to live godly in this life shall suffer persecution. Living a godly life is... Um, no guarantee that you're not going to suffer. Even Jesus, the perfect man, suffered, didn't he? And he was betrayed, he was rejected, uh, crucified, um, you know, all of those things that he went through. In fact, all of his life, he was going through things like that and never did anything wrong. So whenever we think that... Um, Sin brings trouble into our lives. We would be correct. There are wages to sin. There are consequences to sin. There are problems that just come about because God did not make us to sin. And uh, whenever we do, we're going against the grain of his holiness. We're going against the flow of what Almighty God wants, and you just can't do that without consequences. However, in this situation, we need to keep in mind that just because you are suffering, just because you have problems, just because there are things in life that are not going the way that you would wish for them to go, the, the root of that is not always sin. Sometimes it's just the plan of God Sometimes it's the attack of the enemy. Uh, all kinds of things happen. But a sovereign God has ordered our steps. And so he doesn't get caught off guard. He doesn't get caught, um, you know, being distracted. Or he never has to go, uh-oh, didn't see that one coming. <clears throat> all of this is done by the plan of God and for the glory of God to uh, help us to strengthen us, and to deepen our faith and our walk with the Lord. And so uh, David is going through one of these problems. Now you'll notice as we read this, it's going to shift from using um, I, and then it's going to go to you. He's talking to someone else. And David is in one of those situations where as a king, you can imagine how much counsel and how much input 
he gets into every decision that he makes. A king like a president would have a lot of advisors. He would have a cabinet of personnel around him and they would help him to think through every situation, every decision that he would ever make. You need that. Kings need that. Presidents need that. And hopefully it's good advice. But in this case, what David thinks, what David believes, what David affirms seems to go against what everybody else happens to be saying. Now, I've entitled this message, When Life Goes Off Script. And I've done that because I've uh, got friends that they get to a certain stage in life and they go, I never thought it would be like this. I never thought my life would end up like this. I understand that. I never in a million years thought I would have any kind of uh, heart problems. Doesn't run in my family. Never thought that would be the problem. The problems I'm having with my optic nerve and uh, it atrophying, that doesn't run in my family either. Never saw those kind of things coming. That's off script. That's not the way that I had written it for my life. Brings some difficulties and some problems. There are other people that uh, look at their children and the way their children are as adults. I go, I never saw that coming. That's not the way I had it planned. Some people see their children go into sin and rebel against God, leave the church and all of that. And they go, how did this happen? We taught them. We read them Bible stories. We had them in church. And we were trusting God as we prayed for them to do a great work in their life. And now look at them. There are some of you that you go, I wish I still had my child with me because you've lost a child uh, through death or something like that. That wasn't what you planned. Nobody plans to bury their children. We always plan for our children to bury us and inherit everything that we leave behind. It seems out of order. It's off script. And life has a tendency to do that a lot of times to a lot of people. I think about um, two presidents, Obama and Trump. And uh, these presidents, like others, used a teleprompter whenever they would uh, give their speeches. And sometimes somebody would make note of the fact that one of these men would go off the prompter and they would be speaking off the cuff. And people cringed when they did that because it didn't always work out real well, did it? And sometimes life is just like that. We talk about a train. <clears throat> it derails. What happens to a train that derails? It's not a pretty sight. Not a pretty sight. And so when we think about life being off script or off message or derailed, it's kind of where we are. And this is what seems to be happening in David's life as he writes Psalm 11. I'm going to read the whole psalm. We'll talk about 
basically three verses. Psalm 11, 1, In the Lord I put my trust. How can you say to my soul, Flee as a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow in the string that they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Upon the wicked, he will rain coals. Fire and brimstone and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. His countenance beholds the upright. Interesting. When life goes off script, I want you to think about this as point number one, David's affirmation. And it's what I would call a great start. In the Lord, I put my trust. Why did I call it a great start? I have seen so many times in my life where life hits me had an uncle that would say, like a piece of raw liver in the side of the face. I don't know where he got that, but that sounds awful, doesn't it? Sometimes just out of the blue, something changes. Somebody hurts you. You're rejected by somebody. You're betrayed by somebody. The uh, deal doesn't work out. Have a job loss. There's a disease that hits your body. I mean, we could go on and on and on with that. And you know what most of us do? Well, we'll just trust the Lord in all of this. Haven't you done that? I have. <clears throat> Some people, I suppose, uh, fall apart and collapse. I don't tend to do that, and most people that I've watched over all of the decades of ministry, they don't do that right away. And even if they do, usually something comes out of their mouth like, we're just trusting the Lord, God's in control, God will take care of us, it'll be okay. We make that assertion at the very begin, at very beginning. And that's what David did. And he is saying here that I'm going to trust in the Lord just like always. I used to sing a song back um, in the 80s, and it uh, had a, a line in it that said, I'll just trust him now as I trusted at the start. And that's where we want to be. That's a good thing. I'm not putting anything um, down about that at all. I'm actually saying that's what we ought to do. And David did a good thing here when he said, in the Lord, I put my trust. 
But have you ever noticed that once you do that, it's hard to maintain it? I mean, the road gets weary. The trial gets long. We kind of think that if I will just put my trust in the Lord, then poof, all of my troubles vanish and uh, all of the things that are attacking me will be gone. I wish it were that easy. Uh, sometimes it does seem to happen like that, but most of the time it, it doesn't. And it's disappointing and it's discouraging. I'm trusting you, Lord. Why aren't you making this go away? And then to make note of what we said before, I will put my trust in the Lord. And then David changes to how can you say? You know what happens? People get involved and people always try to give advice, don't they? Just like if you read in Job. Job had his friends, his comforters come. Boy, did they, they, they made things worse. Job's wife even made things worse, remember? She said, why don't you curse God and die? She wasn't affirming, she wasn't encouraging or anything like that at all. Um, and that's what's happening to David. All of a sudden, he's getting some counsel. His advisors are saying something like this. How can you, the counselor, the advisor, say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? You know, you need to get away. Everybody thinks that the answer, whenever they have problems, the answer is to run. And that's what David's uh, looking at here. David's counsel is saying, run, get away from it. Don't face it, run from it. You need a new spouse. You need a new job. You need a new church. You need a new situation. You need some new scenery. And the problem with that is you always take your problems and your burdens and your baggage and everything else with you. The demons that are attacking you are not just uh, relegated to Oklahoma City or the metro area. They can follow you to Denver. They can follow you to California. They can follow you to New York. They can follow you to Florida. Wherever you go, you're going to take your problems with you. And so David's counselors are saying, oh no, there's problems going on. David, you need to get out of here. You need to start over somewhere else. And David says, but my trust is in the Lord. How can you say that when my trust is in the Lord? The Lord is, of course, everywhere. And he's all powerful and all knowing. Running away is not going to help. And may I say to you, the same thing is true. People say, I just need to get away. Get away from what? The chances are you're going to take it with you. Thirdly, David's temptation panic. When you think about the uh, next verse, verse 2, this is the counselor saying, you need to flee to your mountain. Why? Look, he says in verse 2, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow on the string that they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. David, they're going to get you. 
and they're out there already, and you're not prepared for this, but they are, and they're ready. They've got their bows and their arrows ready to let them loose. They're coming after you. Have you ever had a time in your life when God seemed to be distant and kind of misty and foggy and unclear? But boy, the enemy sure seemed to be clear. And where you couldn't really see what God was doing, you could sure see what the enemy is doing. You could sure see what they had planned, and it was terrifying. Terrifying. Well, that's kind of what the counselors are doing here. And if you don't ever find yourself in that situation, maybe you're like David, a man after God's own heart, and uh, you're doing fine. You've got problems, but you're doing fine because you put your trust in the Lord. Then somebody comes along beside you and says, you need to get out of Dodge because they are gunning for you and they are ready. And all of a sudden now, because of their words, not because of the discernment of the Holy Spirit, not because of the truth of the word of God about our warfare, but because of this person, now all you can see is the enemy. I just want to say, if you're preoccupied with the enemy, you're looking at the wrong person and the wrong, looking in the wrong places. You need to be preoccupied with God. The Bible says that we are to look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We are to gaze at him. And far too often what believers do, and this may be your problem, you tend to look at your problem. If this desk represents my problem, I gaze at it. Oh no, what am I going to do? Look what the enemy's doing. Oh, there's trouble coming. Oh, I can't wait for the other shoe to drop. How much longer does this go on? That's what we tend to do. And every once in a while, we glance up to heaven. Oh, God, help me because of this and this and this. And we gaze back down at our problem. You know what we ought to be doing biblically? Gazing at Jesus, glance at our problem. It's not that our problems don't exist. They're very real. It's not that the enemy doesn't exist. They're very real. <coughs> but the Bible never calls us to be preoccupied with our problems, are preoccupied with the devil and his demons, are preoccupied with people that let us down or betray us. We are to be preoccupied with Jesus. How can I serve Jesus in the midst of this trial? How can I walk with Jesus in the midst of this trial? That's what I need to be doing, and I need to Keep my eyes upon the Lord. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. And the things of earth, that's where your problems are. That's where the enemy attacks. And it grows strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. So David is getting some advice here that is not helpful. They are opening his eyes to what his enemies are doing, 
instead of opening his eyes to what God is doing, because God is always with you and he is always at work. He works together all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, right? The steps of the righteous are ordered of God, the Bible tells us. He led you into the difficulty. He led you into the battle. He led you into the valley. He led you into the attack. He knows what he's doing. And he is your resource. He's not your last resort. He's your first resource. Turn your eyes to him. And notice number four, David's counselor's bottom line. It's hopeless. Isn't that what they're saying? Nothing in these verses so far that David's friends and counselors and advisors say, none of this is saying, hey, David, it's going to be okay. Hey, David, we're going to make it. Hey, David, God is with us. Hey, David, keep trusting God. He's going to see us through. There's nothing like that at all. Run! The enemy's out there. They've already got their arrows in the string of their bow. David, you, you can't make it. Go. Well, notice he says in verse 3, it's hopeless because if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? I don't know of anything more hopeless than those words. David, it's too late. The foundations are already destroyed. There's no use in going on. There's no use in fighting. There's no use in standing firm. Again, get out of Dodge. It's over. The foundations have been destroyed. There's nothing left that the righteous can do. Boy, that is a terrible, terrible place to be in. Have you ever felt like that? Some people say that in our country we have turned a corner and we'll never, never get it back. Some people say that in Christianity and in the church movement that we've gone too far. We'll never really get it back. Boy, I hate to live like that. Because I think that as long as God lives, there's hope. And I think as long as God still has his church here on earth. One day he's going to take us out. But as long as we're here, there's hope. Sometimes we may look and say, oh, we could sure use, and we name people from the past. You know, a Billy Graham or somebody like that who's already gone on to be with the Lord. We look and we say we could use a Martin Luther or a John Calvin Boy, could we ever use an apostle like Paul? And we, well, think about this. Sovereign God has not ordained for any of them to be here. He's taken them home. But you are here. And you are God's instrument of hope. And so as long as you're here to pray, as long as you're here to witness, as long as you're here to give, as long as you're here to use your spiritual gift, as long as you're here to encourage somebody else, there's always hope. Things look pretty hopeless when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses on the door. But he launched a movement that changed the world. 
when you think about what God could do through you. I've uh, said this several times. You might be a Sunday school teacher and you look and you say, oh, it doesn't really matter if I study all that hard or not. I'm only going to have two, two kids in my class. And let's say they're two little knot-headed boys. Would it change anything if I said to you, what if God would reveal to you that one of them was a Charles Spurgeon and the other was, a, I don't know, a John MacArthur? Oh, yeah, well, that would change everything if I only knew that. That's the way we ought to look at everything we do. Sunday school teachers, give it your best because you never know who it is in that class that God just might use in a way that is exceedingly abundantly beyond, that we, uh, beyond what we ask or think. And you have the privilege of teaching them and praying for them. I mean, as long as God leaves us here and as long as God is on his throne and as long as we have the word of God, there's always hope. It's never an impossible situation. What can the righteous do? Well, they can pray. They can witness, they can give, they can use their spiritual gift to edify others. They can make disciples, and pass the truth on to upcoming generations. You see, the conclusion here is the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. God is not apathetic and God is not ignorant are unaware. God sits on a plane high above all of this. Isn't that amazing that he can be in his holy temple in heaven and yet be with us at the same time? He's an omnipresent God. He's aware of the struggle. He's aware of how your life has turned. He's aware of your disappointment. He's aware of your hardship. And he's going to see you through it. And he's going to use it for his glory. You never know how your life and the difficulties of your life and the disappointments of your life are going to help advance the kingdom of God and its cause. I have a friend that was a roommate in college. We were also friends in high school. We graduated together. He's my age. He's 61. He has ALS. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Every time I think about that, I think about L.D. Baker and how much I miss him and what a testimony he was as he walked that path. Well, this friend of mine has it now, too. He's a Christian, and he wants to glorify the Lord through this. And um, he posted something the other day, and um, I wanted to read it to you and share it with you. Let me get over here. It said, like a tornado, our life was taken down to the foundation. With a disease like ALS, each day is harder than the day before. We braced ourselves as we watched it fall apart day by day, month by month, and year by year.
loss after loss after loss, there we stood together in the rubble, completely stripped of a life we loved and now at a complete loss of what to do, how to survive, and where to even start. I understand that as best I can, don't you? I continue. How about you? Are you standing, climbing through, or laying in the rubble? It's time to rebuild. It's time to make something beautiful out of the mess. This is a guy with ALS. We reassessed our life, faith, and relationships. And then we stood firm and got to work. We began the grueling work of rebuilding piece by piece. Others stepped in to accomplish what we couldn't, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. Messages, calls, and support surrounded and strengthened a powerful resolve and prepared us to endure. Know that when you're too tired, weary, or angry to pray, you're still being covered in prayer by us. We began to live according to what we believed and not by what we felt. It's tempting to believe that God is distant and disinterested when life falls apart or goes off script. However, that perspective is flawed. He can handle your tough questions. After all, you're not the first to ask them. We had to intentionally look at the, as to what we know to be true of who God is, what his perfect track record shows, and what he says about us, his children. When pain is so intense, it's easy to convince yourself of his absence. But in the presence of pain is where we actually saw his incredible power. We found him right in the middle of the rubble with us, and he hasn't left. We've been issued a fatal wound, and we both absolutely hate it. It's not the life we envisioned or wanted, but it's also becoming more than we could have ever imagined. The story isn't over yet. We have an inexhaustible supply of resolve, and so do you. We are trusting in a God who loves redemption. Victory is coming. Finish well. And I thought that was fitting with what David had to say. His counselors had all kinds of ideas of what he should do. Run! The enemy's doing all of these things. What are you going to do? The foundation's destroyed. And David is going to camp on verse 1, 
My trust is in the Lord. And verse 4, the Lord's in his holy temple. Be quiet. He's got it under control, no matter what may happen. And there's a purpose in your life going off the script. There's a purpose in that, and you'll find God in that if you'll look for him instead of looking for and at the enemy all the time. God loves you, and God is with you, and God is in control. Finish well. Thank you for your time. Download the newsletter from uh, gracewayokc.org. And I think it's under events or something like that. And uh, you'll see it. Keep praying for one another. Minister to one another. Wasn't it good to see Brother Bob Hooker in church this past Sunday? But it'll be even better when we get to heaven with all the saints of all of the ages. But until then, we'll let heaven come to us as we gather for worship. And we'll look forward to seeing you in Sunday school and church this coming Sunday. And uh, remember that in your giving, you can give online, again, at the church website, or you can bring it by the church office, or on Sunday morning, there's a box outside the doors in the auditorium where you can give. And keep your eyes open for opportunities to minister and to witness to people we live in a hurting world. Let's keep our eyes on Christ and let's look at the multitudes like he did with compassion. And let's let this time, these difficult times uh, of COVID-19, as we have more church members that come down with it, let's let this be a time where God opens doors for us rather than just simply quarantining ourselves in a gospel sense. We never want to do that. We're always an ambassador for Christ. So anyway, with that being said, thank you for your time and God bless you.